Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. All right. Well, I want to uh, just bring Steve Hookstra up for us. Steve is going to share God's words with, words with us this morning. And we have, we have a privilege. Steve is, is a dear friend. He's also a Christian counselor in South Holland. But... Steve loves God's word, and he loves God's people. And so um, we've, Steve and I have been friends for a number of years, and just the, the way that he has been able to minister to me and encourage me has been, um, has been very profound, and I, I wanted to give Steve the opportunity to minister to us as a church as well. And so um, at the end of the service today, we're going to have an opportunity to respond. For, if you like prayer for anything or if there's things that God is speaking to you about that you need to respond to, we want to have an opportunity to have invite you to come forward for prayer afterwards as well. And so we're going to do that at the end of the service. But let's, to, let's together just really go to the Lord and ask the Lord to be with us as Steve opens God's word. Amen. Can we just bow our heads? Lord Jesus, we just want to, uh, we pray for Steve, God, that you would be with him now as he's, pre- he's prepared, as you've put things on his heart to share. God, we ask for your Holy Spirit to fill him, to speak through him, and Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit as well for us as a church, that we would be the people of God who would receive your word, God, who would hear your word and respond to your word. Just like Sadie said, God, that we would respond with faith. God, that is our heart's desire. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, Sadie. Wow. It's an invitation for all of us in the family of God to recognize that the formation of spiritual gifts starts in the womb. And that we collectively need to understand that our children are gifted by God with the Holy Spirit, but that there are particular things that God has in store for each one of us. And as I'm listening to Sadie and experiencing her, I think to myself, could it be that she has a prophetic gift? Could it be that she has the gift of faith that presses through fear, that knows the love of God, Could it be that she would be here one day teaching? It's not too early for us to begin to think about and pray about and discern the spiritual gifts of our children. The title of my sermon this morning is We Are In It Together. And as I was listening, I was thinking about commitment. The other word that came forth this morning was that we have a great high priest in Jesus, but related to that is also the fact that he is an amazing and committed friend. I want you to think for a moment about a particular reason why he was crucified. That it had something to do with the idea that he in addition to his commitment to the Heavenly Father to do for us what we could not do for ourselves in the forgiveness of sin, is that he made an internal commitment to his friends. 
he said to his friends and he says to us, I will not break my commitment to you. I will not disidentify from you, even if they kill me. That is a deep commitment. It makes a difference in this life if we have committed friends. We need each other. Do you really believe that life together is the best way to live? As a counselor, I have heard amazing, profound, peculiar, and hilarious things. And one of the most hilarious things that I've ever heard is someone actually said to me, my life would be great if it wasn't for the people. See, if I could just be by myself. And so sometimes we wonder, is life really better together? We know that life is amazing sometimes. And life is hard, really hard sometimes. Our lives are not meant to be identical. Our lives are meant to be shared. Jesus came to earth to share his life with people just like us. Jesus said, follow my lead. We together will get life and love figured out. Remember what Jesus said when the Pharisees tried to trap him in this question. Rabbi, they said sarcastically, what is the greatest command in the law? To love God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength and our neighbor as ourselves. In our language, Jesus was saying the most important consideration and concentration of the day is to love. To answer the question, what does love look like now? In addition to Jesus' deep commitment to us as a friend, I want you to consider whether or not you had ever thought about Jesus as the smartest man who ever lived. Because if we are going to follow someone, in part, it's about having confidence in who he is. There are many times that I might get a referral and someone might come into the office and it's really only because someone else has had an experience in relationship with me, in which they um, experience me as competent and trustworthy. Listen to the words of Dallas Willard from his book, The Divine Conspiracy, with regards to the genius of our Savior. Can we seriously imagine that Jesus could be Lord if he were not smart? If he were divine, would he be dumb, uninformed? Once you stop to think about it, 
how could he be what we take him to be in all other aspects of who he is and not be the most intelligent, smartest person who ever lived? You see, sometimes we think about Jesus as the answer, but we also need to recognize that there is a genius about who he is and what we come to understand about him in his word. The Apostle Paul gives us an illustration of what it means for us to relate together. Paul started out a hater of Christians, but he became a Christian and started many churches. In 1 Corinthians 12, 21 to 26, Paul illustrates life together, comparing life to a body. All people are important. In just the same way that all body parts are important. Listen and follow along to these words from 1 Corinthians. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think to be less honorable, we bestow with greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are to be treated with greater modesty, which our presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And so when we think about the body of believers or the family of Christ, we may consider ourselves to be a weaker member. We may consider ourselves to be somehow less honorable or less worthy. We might want to hide and, and not present certain parts of who we are. And yet Paul teaches us that every member of the family of God is important. As a matter of fact, the weaker parts of who we are are indispensable. The things that we might be ashamed of, God desires those things to be honored to be made room for. The parts that we might want to hide, God invites us to learn to relate to each other with special modesty. And then Paul uses the word compose. Now, there are a couple of definitions of this. Because in the family of God, he is at work through his spirit to form by uniting two or more things. What was the word that was spoken this morning through Sadie? Where two or three are gathered, that's where he is. But compose also has to do with composure. 
You know the challenge of maintaining your composure? There is something about the reality of who Christ is and the presence of his spirit that helps to calm and to quiet and to settle. Paul ends with this reference to how it is that in the family of believers, we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and that we suffer with those who suffer. Think about it especially if you've grown up in a family with a lot of siblings. Weren't there moments that it was difficult to be happy for a brother or sister when things went right? See, And we all have that. We're vulnerable to jealousy, which is the desire for what someone else has. And maybe even more seriously, we're vulnerable to envy, Because they are distinct. The definition of envy is I not only want what you have, but I don't want you to have it. You see? There is a deeper destruction to envy. But it means rejoicing when others are blessed. It also means suffering with those who suffer. So, yes, we are in it together. We are not alone. We do have hope in Christ, and we do matter to him. There is strength and power in our Savior, and yet we all face times of isolation, loneliness, hopelessness, and powerlessness. These are the elements of distress. One of the things that I appreciate about our time together this morning is that the Spirit was at work before I came up. It was stirring and prompting in the hearts of people in the prayer time that we had before the service. And I appreciated the fact that two people came up because they responded to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, the nudge, the urge. But have you noticed that oftentimes when the Spirit of God moves and nudges our hearts, we suddenly have at least six good reasons in our minds not to cooperate? Does anybody know that experience? It's instant. To illustrate, come with me to a fall baseball practice. My son is on the field with the other team members. It's a warm enough day. The park is filled with other people. And I'm sitting in my car in the parking area next to the street. I brought a book along, written by John Eldridge, called The Sacred Romance, which is about developing a deeper and more intimate relationship with Christ. I have my window down. I just want to read my book. There's another car about 50 feet away, pointing in the opposite direction. 
So her window is down. My window is down. And she is going off on some guy on her cell phone. And I am hearing the whole thing. And I begin to get the nudge. And in my mind, instantly, I say to myself, I'm just going to sit here and be a good Christian and read my Christian book because you know what? This is none of my business. And the Holy Spirit would not let me go. And then I took the big risk. I looked. (laughs) And she's looking at me with this facial expression like, dude, I'm waiting for you. I was like, oh, really? Take a deep breath. Close my book. And I say, okay. I get out of my car. I approach her car. And I say to her, I couldn't help but overhear that maybe something is wrong. And she says, I can handle this. What do you care? And back away from my car. Now I'm thinking, I've got this wrong. Really, Lord? I said, well, sometimes we can't handle things by ourselves. To which she says, I can handle this. I know what to do. And what do you care and back away from my car? So I paused, hoping to make the exchange a little warmer. I say, my name is Steve. And this may sound weird, but I do care. What's your name? Yolanda. Ten seconds go by, which seem like ten minutes. And I just lay the question out there. Yolanda, has God been speaking to you about anything? Her chin hits her chest and she nods. I'm like, yes! (laughs) Yes! What has he been saying to you? To which she says, that I need to be spending more time with the Lord and less time with this jerk that I was on the phone with. She began to soften. She gets out of her car. She begins to tell me her story. Things are not going well at work. She's in graduate school and not doing well. Her life is falling apart. This relationship is a mess. And then she says to me, I've been praying for a Christian man to show up for 10 years. And I start laughing. And she's staring at me with this odd stare because I'm laughing. And she says, what's so funny? And I said, well, I think God answered your prayer today. I said, I don't think you were expecting a tall married white man But I think 
Yolanda, you and I both know that unless you get some things figured out with the man in your life, you will never get anything figured out with a man in your life. And I said, I'm reading a book called The Sacred Romance. I think you're supposed to have this. It's about an intimate relationship with Christ. I give her the book. She said, I'm so sorry. I pushed you off at first. I'm sorry I was stern with you because I actually was assaulted on my job two weeks ago, and now anytime anybody approaches me, I, I get anxious. And I said, well, you know, can I pray for you? And so here we are, standing on the curb, baseball's happening, cars are going by. And I say, would you be comfortable with me putting my hand on your shoulder when I prayed for you? She said, yes. I... So I'm praying for her, and the Holy Spirit is showing up. So we get done praying, and she's grateful, and she takes the book, and she's reading it. And I, I'm walking around all the baseball fields, and I'm like, God, you are so awesome. Thank you for inviting me into this. And he's really quiet. And then he says to me, why do you treat me like I'm bothering you at first? God is always at work. Jesus is always at work. The Spirit is always at work in advance. It's a privilege and a responsibility, but it's also very difficult to join God in what he's up to and his interests in the lives of other people. But I think to myself, I don't want to miss it. It's one of the biggest lies of the enemy. It's called complacency, that if I don't cooperate, if I don't join in, and guess what? I don't always. I say no to that urging and prompting. But here's the thing. There is a consequence for that. The lie of complacency is that, well, nothing good happened and nothing bad happened. There's no effect. Well, that's just not true. See? We don't want to miss it. There's also an illustration of the body in John 11, 33-34. The place that this experience with Jesus and his friends occurs is Bethany. The main characters, Jesus, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Here's the scene. Lazarus had died. He's been dead in a cave with a stone rolled in front of the opening for four days. We're going to pick up the story in Jesus' encounter with Mary and Martha. When Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Deeply moved. Jesus was affected by the sorrow of his friends. He was also troubled. And this word troubled is the same word that is used to describe what Jesus was going through in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's the depth and the intensity of what he was going through. 
This is the kind of troubled that also has to do with what it means to gear up for a great confrontation or to address a great obstacle. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Isn't that our dilemma? One side of us saying in a circumstance, isn't Jesus the most loving person? Another part of us folks, seeing on the situation, almost experiencing him as a failure. Boy, he's done these things before. Why isn't he performing a particular kind of miracle now? Those are common human responses and reactions. Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laid against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? You see, now we're back to Sadie. (laughs) What did she say? If we believe, we will see God revealed. He will show up. Does he always do what we expect him to do in our circumstance? That is the real test of faith. So they took the stone away, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on the account that the people standing around might believe that you sent me. And so so here's the reality. Jesus could have come into this circumstance and performed a miracle in which he moved the stone away. But think about it. If he's the head of the body and we are the body's members, there are things that he will do that we cannot do. And there are things for us to do that he will not do. Why? Because he wants us to function together. See? He says, you put your shoulder next to the stone. You push the obstacle away. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died, who looked strangely very similar to your pastor, (laughs) came out. And his hands and feet were bound with linen strips. His face was wrapped with cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Okay, this is the second part of the reality of the way that Jesus moved in this situation. This was not the same as our Lord's own resurrection, where the tomb was empty, where the grave clothes were off, where he was robed in 
linen and white and probably smelling very heavenly. You see, when the stone was rolled away, everyone had to look at the man who was dead. Now, one of the questions that I have for you, Lazarus, is where were you for four days before you came back? It was dark. (laughs) (laughs) And could you imagine Jesus' instruction to the people when they said, you get next to him. So if I'm next to Lazarus and he's been dead for four days, what am I dealing with right now? Right? The smell of death. I mean, this is a stench. Remember what we said earlier? We have unpresentable parts, less honorable parts, parts of us that we want to hide, parts of us that we would never want anyone to get next to, stinky stuff that we've done and has gone on in our life. And yet God gives us sight for each other. We're part of each other's cleansing in the blood of Christ. And we may be caught in things. You see, Lazarus came out with his grave clothes. And Jesus had him come out intentionally. Why? Because as members of the body, we are to help each other get unwound. Because why? God came so that we would be free. You see? that we would be able to move in the way that he intended us to move. So that we together, even though we were dead in sin and bound, become the hands and feet of God together. I mentioned this earlier. As a counselor on a daily basis, I deal with distress. People who are experiencing Hopelessness and powerlessness and worthlessness, loneliness in life. Part of the other challenge is just dealing with differences. Half of my practice for the last 26 years has been with couples. Most of the time they say, We don't understand what God was thinking. We're so opposite, so difficult. See? But differentness is where we grow. Yes, and then there's dysfunction, patterns in our lives that continue to create self-destruction for us and our relationships. And sometimes there is disorder, both in personality and in mental impairment. But in all of these scenarios, the counseling room for me is sacred space for holy work, where God meets us. It's like being a nurse in the delivery room. There is a labor. There is pain. There is blood. But the hope of new life, and it is a process. And we need each other. Some of you might be experiencing a stirring or a prompting of the Holy Spirit right now with regards to what has been said, the words that have been um, 
spoken from the Bible, from people, what we've sung. And at the end of our service today is an opportunity for you to face any fear or inhibition that you might have. Because God's desire is for us to come to the throne of grace, to receive the grace that he desires to supply. Not just for healing and freedom and seeing what we need to see, but it also may be an equipping because you might be in relationship with someone who God desires for you to help. It might be for more courage and boldness to respond to what God's intentions and interests are in other people. The Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. Allow the love of God to find your heart. If he's stirring you to come up to receive, please don't leave until you do. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the kind of friend that you are. We thank you for being an amazing high priest whose blood sacrifice enables us to come boldly to the throne of grace, to receive its provisions, that you've given us each other, that we benefit from the commitment that you made to us You inspire us to be committed to each other. You have equipped some to minister today. Others will receive. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. But together is better. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.